Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, we're building up to the 2021 Academy Awards with a special episode called the Underrated Movie Awards. Have on the mic Hunter Heilman once again. Hunter, on a scale of 1 to 10 with 1 being... The Oscars are happening this year, and 10 being I've just got done doing a, a shotgun beer, sh- you know, beer chugging while watching Nomadland. How, what, what, what level are you at with this year's Oscars? Bruh, so I saw someone tweet earlier. They're like, the Oscars are a week from today. And I was like, no, they aren't. No, they aren't. They were both, th- they were, so- it's somehow the Oscars were three months ago, but also aren't for another three months. Yes, I um, I got I got a little like preview about how just no one cares about this year's Oscars. Yeah. The other day when um I was I was uh I forget where I was, but someone in the group that I was with on the TV at the restaurant, it said there uh, like an an advertisement came on for like an interview with Sasha Baron Cohen, and they played some clips from. Uh, trial of the chicago seven and the person at the table was like i don't remember that part of borat too and i was like no that's some other movie he's in and he's and the person at the table was like oh what movie it's like this movie trial of the chicago seven and they said i've literally never heard of that movie and i'm like and that's yeah so... it's it's nominated for a bunch of oscars <laughs> yeah, that's just well i mean i feel like i feel like trial of the chicago seven is like carries a lot of weight with old people that's um, true but like with people our age, like millennials, Gen Z, etc., it is just not a movie that has spoken to us. If only because I think a lot of people our age kind of see through a lot of like the political ruse, even if it can, mm-hmm. you know, fall on our, you know, general side of like political stance. It's still just like okay, but like we're smarter than that to believe something like can come of something like that i don't know it's a, yeah. it's a weird thing i had I, someone else mentioned to me the other day that they had heard of trial of chicago 7 that was the, the the only two nominees that they had heard of were nomadland and trial of chicago 7 and they hadn't seen either one of them and they yeah. only knew trial of chicago 7 of like oh that thing netflix always wants me to watch yeah i mean netflix put it on youtube for free for like two days so um yeah i would say for me the ones that i'm hearing the most about weirdly the father like came out like came up really quickly in the ranks of like oh my god that's like major oscar movie but also like audiences really really loved it too which is great because i I think the father is is excellent um i think the two biggest ones for people like like my circle i would say definitely nomadland because i think that's just kind of the one on everyone's lips um that's the one i've gotten the most sort of like i've heard that's good where can i watch it yeah and then the other one um i would say for people are people our age has been um promising young woman oh yeah i've gotten a lot of similar kind of like i've 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 heard about that. Where can I watch it? Yeah. And I guess maybe, maybe Judas and the black Messiah, but not as much since they took it off HBO max. Right. So, you know, that's, I think that's just the, the, that was the trajectory it was going to go on anyway. So, but it's not like, you know, 
it's not like Kaluuya's losing the Oscar because it's not on HBO right. Max anymore. I think that's kind of like done and wrapped it in the can at this point. I think you can. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the other day I did see you can um, pay for it through pay-per-view now. Yeah, you can rent it. It's just not available to stream like yes. very, very accessibly. And I feel like... A big thing that's happening now, especially with like Oscar trends, is like people love things you can stream because it's like I don't have to know that I want to watch this in advance the same way that I know that I, you know, people want to go see the new Marvel movie or, you know, whatever the big blockbuster of the moment is where people know what it is, it's recognizable. People don't know what Nomadland is. And I think like, it being on Hulu has done a lot of good for it because people just see it. And like you said, they know they're like, Oh, I've heard of that. Like, you know, I've seen a lot of commercials or whatever. Cause searchlight has done a really good job with marketing they have. this movie. Surprise, surprise that searchlight can market an Oscar movie. Like, right. Sim- um, similarly with like the streaming thing you mentioned, I have heard a lot of people checking out sound of metal and that sort of being yes. the word of mouth of just people pulling up their Amazon and yeah, being like, recommended. Oh, it's there? Yeah, or or just not even knowing it was an Oscar nominee, it just sort of seeing it advertised on Amazon and yeah. then checking it out and then being like, oh, that's actually up for like a bunch of awards and stuff. Yeah. I feel like for as much money as Amazon has, they should be better at Oscar campaigning. Yeah, like they have. Bezos, I would agree. They have like Bezos money. Why, like what's the what's the deal buy every literally like double everyone's salary who works at searchlight poach them all over to your side and see what you can do like you know so next week we're going to be doing a big oscar recap show we already kind of went over sort of some of our predictions for who's going to win when we discuss the nominees um but this week i thought it would be fun to have you on and do a version of something that I've been doing for years and years, sometimes in a column, sometimes as a podcast, which is the underrated movie awards, which is essentially giving out awards for, you know, people who are not going to be getting stuff come Oscar night or have zero chance of getting stuff. Basically the parameters for what we're doing. None of the people who can qualify for this are um, nominated for Oscars. And I should probably should have made this more clear with um, in regards to best picture, but I'm also going to say a rule like they can't be nominated for best picture or best foreign language film or animated film, as opposed to like, I don't know that we could say soul is underrated if it's not nominated for best picture, but it is clearly going to win the best animated film award. So even if Wolfwalkers should, I mean, Wolfwalkers is technically underrated, but it's nominated. Yes. So, so this I'm is an opportunity ripping apart the fabric <laughs> of your idea right in front of you. Well, this is an opportunity for us to just reach out and just, you know, recognize some people who brought us joy. Similar to what the Oscars are doing, the parameter for this is also going to extend into the first couple months of 2021. So that means if there was a movie that came out in early 2021 that has a performance in it that we think is really underrated, we can talk about it here on this podcast. Um, but I thought we'd start off with supporting actress. Okay. What is your Hunter Heilman pick for your underrated supporting actress winner? 
Okay, so um, most of my favorite movies of last year are not nominated for Best Picture, which is, like, not surprising because they never are. Um, which and... makes a show like this extra fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, my supporting actress pick was the one that I, within North Carolina Film Critics Association, I tried to, I tried to get people to watch it. I tried to get people to, like, nominate it or at least just, like, hear me out on it for just five seconds. And no one would. Um, it is Robin Nevin and Relic. Okay. Um, I did that, see this per your recommendation. Yes. Relic, um, unsurprisingly, well, not unsurprisingly, I guess, but I have not been uh, shy in saying that Relic was my favorite movie of last year, hands down, like no contest. Um, it just hit me really like personally. And I thought it was just a really well-crafted, like, subtle horror movie but also wasn't so slow burn that it just felt like it wasn't going anywhere and robin nevin's performance at the center of it to me is very similar to the performance of um and this might be stretching some people might not agree with me but it reminds me a lot of anthony hopkins performance in the father of this really yeah um except in this one it's an actual horror film and not and not a prestige drama if for some reason you want to have a disguised as a priest prestige drama if for some reason you want to have a double feature about the horrors of dementia then yeah and watch this and the father like i remember when i was watching it there was that scene with her and emily mortimer who would be one of my best actress picks but she's not i'm just go i didn't want to like choose all from the same movie um right but um there's a scene with her and Emily Mortimer in the woods when she goes missing and she finds her in the woods and she just like is staring at her and just says, I want to go home. I just want to go home. And she doesn't know where she is. And you can see her face start to crack of just like of this and the entire thing kind of coming down on her and realizing just how disconnected from like her own mind she is. And that was like a moment when I was like, that's an Oscar clip. Mm-hmm. Like that is the clip that they would show at the Oscars and it would come out, you know, fade in with the applause. And like, I just saw it. I just felt it. And that um, probably I would say that was my favorite performance of last year. Oh, wow. It, it just really spoke to me in a, a way that nothing else has. And unfortunately, um, IFC Midnight's a great distributor. IFC is really good when it comes to getting the word out of these like niche horror movies that maybe you wouldn't have heard about otherwise however um they are not an oscars no uh they are not oscar darlings by any means because ifc doesn't really like have amazon or you know focus or flight clout by any means so um i mean the last big movies i mean they've had some foreign language films in there but the last movie they've had that was a big oscar contender was boyhood like right years ago at this point that's my best supporting actress pick it just it yeah it's it's great it is it is kind of textbook definition of i think just a prestige performance but in in a horror film from a distributor who is not known for oscar clout so of course it was going to go underrated my pick for supporting actress i'm gonna go with i have no idea actually if you've seen this movie Mm -hmm. but i'm gonna go with candace bergen and let them all talk Ooh, i haven't seen let them all talk but i've heard i heard some whispers about candace bergen's performance i love her 
Yeah, she's I mean, fabulous. I mean, for those who don't know, this is the Steven Soderbergh movie um, starring Meryl Streep that went on HBO Max. The second, well, I guess it was the first that released, but the second that kind of premiered of um, of Lucas Hedges on cruise ships across the um, (laughs) across the ocean (laughs) with gay icons. Uh, The other being French Exit with michelle pfeiffer where they go from uh new york to paris it's just it's crazy that it happens so close to each other but uh i heard good things about that i haven't watched it yet but um yeah is lit i love her yeah i mean the movie itself i think is kind of a fun light kind of like weeknight comedy um but i think bergen kind of has the standout performance in the movie she has the most arc in her character but to me it's just sort of seeing someone who i mean she is still a movie star but someone who probably was like a bigger movie who was clearly a bigger movie star at one point and is just not going to tv star yeah a big tv star and it's just not the kind of person that today an actress at her age does not get this kind of just sort of like fun i am on vacation but also i get a little bit of of meat and substance to play with Mm -hmm. she just kind of gets so much um (laughs) so much to play with from the kind of like movie star buffet in this movie and there's just sort of a joy in watching her have fun in this movie and 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 get to kind of like both get the sort of emotional climax of the movie, which I won't quite ruin since you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. but also just sort of get to be the the comedic relief and kind of like be the part of the movie that is this this woman who is just sort of having like a, a like frivolous fun cruise vacation. But mm-hmm. there is also this sort of like weight of kind of like late in life crisis sort of weighing down on her at some point but it's not like overbearing of the entire movie i just thought it was a really fun exciting movie star performance that from someone who i i would not expect to be getting that kind of role today if that makes any sense yeah i mean it it really does speak to like the way that like once a a Hollywood actress reaches 40 if she hasn't like completely just carved out her own specific niche. Yeah. The roles start to become very, very similar. And I feel like Candace Bergen, I mean, had Murphy Brown and they obviously did that reboot that no one watched. Right. I don't think. Um, that no one but asked I mean, for. Since then, I mean, I knew, I knew uh, Candace Bergen from like sex in the city mm-hmm. as, um, as Carrie's editor. So that was one thing I always, uh remembered from her but then i remember like as i grew up i started to s- started to see her in more things as i went back yeah and uh found her really charming she's very she i like her a lot because she can do very very like serious maybe i mean maybe not in serious movies but like she can play a good ice queen but yes. she has those moments of like can be really light and airy i don't know if you saw i haven't seen all of it i only saw a little bit of it on tv but book club from what i saw that i've seen about five cute. minutes randomly it looked cute and she looked like she was having a blast in it because those like four i mean i can't imagine like i wouldn't say no to being in a movie with diane keaton and jane fonda and mary steen like right and like that's a 
that's a kill and candace bergen that's a killer cast I think it, it is a similar let them all talk is <laughs> yeah. i mean i have not seen all of book club so i can't fully yeah. you know attest to this exact comparison but it is sort of like steven soderbergh being like i want to make kind of that kind of comedy yeah and it, it all just gets pigeonholed as like older women movies like mm-hmm. you know movies that like gail and sylvia and like you know they'll all go see together on a girl's night but like then no one else will hear about it because it's like the husbands don't go they don't i mean it's one of the it's just that like it's that weird place of like these movies are really good but it's just stigmatized by the genre that it is i guess and you just don't hear about it as much because i remember when let them all talk started getting really good reviews i was like oh okay well uh i don't know about oscars but this will do really great at the Golden Globes with like musical or comedy. And then they nominated Kate Hudson for music and music Woof. for best picture. And it was like, Oh, okay, maybe not. But again, I'll give that. I will give that over to actually, no, I won't. I was going to say, I was going to give it over to HBO max, just not having Oscar clout. Um, I think it was it, just, it's, it's not the kind of movie that like, I, you know, I don't, I can see I'm a little surprised it didn't do better at the Globes, but it, it is yeah. it is such a kind of just sort of like light comedy that I, I, yeah. I can see why a studio would look at it and kind of not think it is the kind of thing to. Yeah. But the Globes, man, if you can't even they didn't even get Meryl Streep in for the prom this year, let alone the one that actually got good reviews like, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I, I'll give it to HBO Max because it was like it's not like Judas and the Black Messiah where it's like hbo max just streamed a warner brothers movie like right. this was a max original it's very i think it's hard for them to get out there but at the same time vertical entertainment released music and no one really thinks much of them so god i know what kind of money do they i mean they do release <laughs> a lot they made a lot of money over covid so let's move on to supporting actor who is your underrated supporting actor pick okay so i had a few choices and i was down between two okay um i one of them not gonna focus on it but um david thewlis and i'm thinking of ending things is fabulous yeah him and tony collette were kind of backups for me in these supporting categories together um but my choice is not that (laughs) my choice is a movie that i think I, I, it was not eligible for the Globes, but it was eligible for the Oscars. So I don't know why it wasn't ever considered for anything. Um, my choice is Jamie Dornan and Baron Stargood at Vista Del Mar. What an incredible flex pick. It's, go, go. <laughs> it's so good. It just, it's, it's such an out there performance. And it's, it's one of those moments where you really just start to realize like, acting in like a comedy a dumbass comedy i think can take all of the talent that acting in a really dark prestige prestige drama does yeah. and i think jamie dornan's performance in barb and star of vista del mar is one of those uh one of those performances that you're just like he put his whole ass into that performance and it's so against type and it's so wonderfully executed both in just how easily he goes with it because i Mm -hmm. think one thing about it it was a little surprising because jamie dornan has always been i would say except in like the fall which is a really great bbc drama but like he's always been a little stiff yeah not been the most like commanding like screen presence but in this it was like okay let's take away 
us trying to make him a mainstream movie star. Let's take that all away. You know, we can keep that his character is sexy because, like, Jamie Dornan is, but let's let's make it this really like stupid character that goes against both the type of the character and him as an actor and i think he had fabulous comedic timing i think he just went with it so much i feel like he understood just the dumb dumbass vibe that Kristen wig and annie mamola were going for and just executed it perfectly it's very similar to me to like a melissa mccarthy and like bridesmaids type Mm. moment Except, obviously, Barb and Star is just a lot more surreal, a lot more, like, slapstick. Right. And it, it's, it's a performance that, like, it is the first time he has made sense in something to yes. me that I've seen. And I, like, love when I get to see a performance where it's, like, I, I either, like, have not... I've just not had an opinion about this person no. or just could, like, take or leave them in any movie. And now it's, like, the, you know... There, there's finally the electricity on screen it's like yes. oh i get it now i like this this person makes sense here yeah and like i just feel like anyone else in that role would not have like hit as hard because i feel like everyone else that is like similar to his quote type i guess has done not things as far out as barb and star but like mm-hmm. have shown to have comedic timing you know ryan reynolds has made a career off of it uh jake Hall has those moments brian gosling had you know did like the nice guys and stuff and has shown he has that comedic timing but jamie dornan i think a lot of it just came from like a where the hell did you come from you were right. in three 50 shades movies and were pretty bad in all three of them but also dakota johnson was too and she's a great actress so it's just like it really speaks to i think how uh, a screenplay and how a film is is approached from the people making it can uh can really affect a performance as a whole and it's just it's again it's stupid but it takes itself so not seriously that it's like absolutely genius i do not understand how uh did not get a best original song yeah that's crazy nomination to me. i do you, could you imagine if they perform that at the oscars oh my god I would die. It's just, yeah, it's, I I don't know how else to describe it. Cause it's one of those things where I feel like if you watch Barbara and Star go to Vista Del Mar, you're going to look at me like, what really? But then it just, there's a point where it just hits of like, wow, he really is the best part of this movie. And what's crazy is he's not a comedian. He's not like Kristen Wiig. He's not like, uh, Andy Mamolo, Damon Wayans Jr. Anyone else in that movie it's truly like an actor who has tried to be dramatic coming forward into comedy and just killing it. And I think that's, that's really pleasant to see, but also it's just, it's just so fun. And I just think the Oscars need more fun. Yeah. So speaking of fun, my supporting oh, no. actor pick, similarly a bit of a chaos pick Oh, okay. um, in, I in, was... in a movie that definitely discussed many times on this podcast. Um, I'm going with Robert Pattinson and Tenet, which is a movie I don't necessarily think works, but I think he is the one person in that movie who is having fun. And uh, a friend of mine sent me something recently of like an interview where Pattinson was basically like, yeah, I, I like have no idea what that movie is about. Like I like never even knew like when we were shooting stuff, like what was going on in a scene. And you can kind of tell that in, in the, the performance, but 
he is just he is the one person that is just kind of like effortlessly having fun and is just sort of being he gets to be the kind of he gets to be the Han Solo of the movie. He gets to be that kind of second tier character, whether it's Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park um, or uh, Tom Hardy in Inception just kind of gets to be charming and handsome for almost three hours. I think this movie is. And I don't know. I found that a sort of welcome energy in a movie that I found largely like very tiring and confusing for most of its running time and sort of requiring so much work of me. And he was sort of bringing that bit of kind of like James Bond, Miami vice airiness and kind of briskness um, that I, I, I sort of just sort of wish the whole movie would have been. So um, just, just a plus movie star work i i disagree uh, well i don't disagree oh, yeah but you know i i have stronger feelings on tenet than you do and i'm just i'm just sort of like i think it's bad but i'm also like yeah kind of like humorously just sort of like well he really went for it he really was <laughs> the best part of the movie like no question. no i mean like 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 nolan just like really went for it like it, it yeah. is in that category of like absurd blank like some no one told you no and of just sort of like, I'm always fascinated when that happens to a filmmaker, even if I think the result this time was like, I don't know, I think you like really left your audience behind. Every time Warner Brothers lets someone do whatever they want, I don't really like the end product. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's just me. Um, yeah. I, he's he's very charming in the film. And it's one of those, it was one of those performances where I was like, oh God, I really want to like not have fun with this right now. But like you at least are kind of serving a little bit because i'll be honest in tenet i as much as i hated malcolm and marie and i Mm -hmm. really didn't think his performance was even all that great in that i felt that he really put a lot into malcolm and marie i wasn't crazy about it because i hated john John david washington yeah yeah, john david washington sorry i don't know why i why i didn't (laughs) specify uh but in tenet i just felt like his character underserved him so much that it was really easy for Robert Pattinson to come in also and like be more interesting because yeah. I think I mean granted I think that was the point it was like his character literally is like a blank slate John David Washington right but like it, it didn't leave him a lot of room and I think it was really easy for a lot of the supporting actresses or actors to kind of overtake him sans uh Kenneth Branagh who was just like bad for the sake of bad and that that really disappointed me about Tenet because I was like, I know John David Washington could act his ass off, mm-hmm. and you know, I just felt like no one. That's no one that's what I kind of wish was more in the movie is sort of knowing that John David Washington can be very charismatic yeah. and sort of wanting more of the sort of like charismatic buddy spy movie between him and Pattinson to kind of come out more yeah. and 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 that not the movie just sort of gets in the way and like, can't do that. But I, I did just sort of like, especially when I revisited, it was just like having a lot of fun with Pattinson, just yeah. sort of clearly like ver- looking like Christopher Nolan and just sort of like moseying into every scene with just this like laid back energy and like ordering vodka tonics and he stuff has like a, that. He has a bond energy, maybe not a traditional one to where I could ever see him being cast as it. Granted, I probably could say that about Batman too, but here mm-hmm. we are. But like, there's just this kind of like suave. It's like 
suave and elevated, but also like he doesn't give a fuck. And it's right. just that like really uh cool balance. I I've always appreciated that in his kind of like post teen heartthrob performances that have really been uh fun to watch. So uh not something I would have nominated, but I you make a good case for it. Yeah. Um let's move on to actress. Who's your underrated actress pick? So I had a couple. Um, I was like, do I want to go like really like, oh, like super left field and say like Carrie Coon in the nest, or do I want to like stick to my guns and do Jesse Buckley and I'm thinking of ending things, but I decided uh, I'm going to go with somewhat of the like obvious missed out on Oscars choice, but one mm-hmm. that I think for as much time as that has passed between its release and Oscar season, it should have had the momentum to go forward a little bit more. And that is, um, Amy Adams and Hillbilly Elegy. Shut up. (laughs) It's Elizabeth Moss and the invisible man. Oh yeah. Great. Great. Um, that performance is like unreal for a film of its kind of like ilk of like a, like a February Blumhouse thriller. That was made for like nine million dollars, and her and like, I mean, she's like the A lister in the movie. Everyone else, mm-hmm. they're very talented. Aldous Hodge, Oliver Jackson, Cohen, Storm Reed, but they are very much so on the rise actors. So it's it's very obviously like her movie, and she commands that from the opening scene up until the very end. And there's such a an emotional journey that you go on with her and she sells every freaking scene of it. And even when the movie can get a little silly, her performance reflects it in a way that doesn't like kind of denigrate it for having that, like yeah, that uh silliness she runs with it. And it's one of the rare moments where someone can kind of take something that has a bit of levity more seriously and it works this performance this screenplay really gave her a lot of room to do that and it just the way that it was woven in with like the the allusions to how this sort of supernatural approach or sci-fi approach to this can really mirror a lot of the similar feelings that people can have with uh domestic abuse is really really interesting and pertinent and like I think it is, that would be, Carrie Mulligan was one of my favorite performances of last year. However, if it came down to it between Carrie Mulligan and Elizabeth Moss, if she was nominated, I would probably be going for Elizabeth Moss because there, it's just such a, a, such a well-rounded performance and such a wonderful central character that is really really memorable for for a film like that you know when you watch something called the invisible man you kind of think that you're going to walk away with the 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 memory of the title character of the invisible man but you right. don't you walk away with cecilia cass's like like power and just vulnerability that i don't think would have been possible without someone like moss on the role so um i was really happy that she got nominated for ncfca even though she didn't win um i also think this movie i also think it should be in the best visual effects 
category. It, I mean, it is Love and Monsters. The, it is the best visual effects stuff. I mean, in terms of like nine I've, million dollars. That's yeah, all it I, took. The, there's just some like it's it is, I think, the smartest movie of last year in terms of how it sort of uses and deploys these very simple um visual tricks. Um, you know, I think the more elaborate visual tricks are 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 some of the like least impressive stuff in the movie. But I, as you know, using very simple effects to like very kind of shock, like wowing. There is nothing like that freaking scene where she pours the paint on him to like, try to figure him out. And it just like falls and just, he just disappears. It's ooh, yeah. so good. It's I, such a, I, I was such just thinking movie. of the, you know, the scene at the Chinese restaurant, which, you know, is, is, is a very sort of like how the effects in that scene are very, very simple, but the way that it is sort of incorporated with the filmmaking is just sort of like a great visual was, movie moment. That was the last movie I saw on IMAX. And I remember like the scene in the Chinese restaurant. I remember like half of the theater. It was like an, Oh, sound, yeah. but the other half was just silence. Yeah, and that it, was, was... it was the last movie I saw in a theater before the pandemic, and and yeah. I very distinctly remember just the yeah. like gasp that it got. It out was of the my audience. second to last. My last one was Emma, but this that one was my last one on an IMAX up until this Thursday because I'm gonna go see Mortal Kombat or no Friday, but still, um, yeah, that performance I think is just I think it lasted the year really well. Mm. I think it should have had more momentum, but again in the same way that i felt about relic it's just one of those it's one of those things that the invisible on paper it just doesn't sound like an oscar movie and that shouldn't hold that much stake with oscar voters but mm -hmm. it does yeah the invisible man produced by blumhouse released in february you know it's it's just not something that fits the the oscar narrative even though it it objectively should so. so my pick is going to be someone who you actually mentioned earlier. I'm going to go with Carrie Coon in the nest. So she's, I'm so glad you did this. Who, I, was, I felt so bad not picking her, but she's so good in it. And an actress I've loved for a while, sort of like, especially I was a big fan of the leftovers. leftovers. And I remember thought, editing those, those articles, th those recaps and just sort of like gushing about like how good she was on that show. And you know, this is a movie I'm a little bit mixed on. I, oh, I, I love it. I think it's worth seeing, but it it's sort of like my mixed feelings come from it just sort of like reminding me <sighs> of similar movies I just like more. That's um, fair. But I think j both her and Jude Law are sensational in this movie. And her especially, I mean, just I... She, to me, is one of our like most underrated actresses yes. working in, Remember when in terms she was of in Avengers uh Avengers Infinity War for like 36 seconds voice like a CGI Muppet basically yeah yeah <laughs> I was like I remember like I was like they said Gary Coon was cast and I saw her name in the credits who was she and I found out she was a character who was on screen for like 30 seconds and was terrible CGI but yeah I mean, I thought she was great and like very funny in Gone Girl. So good in Gone Girl. She that was the first time I'd ever seen her act was Gone Girl, and I remember being like, "Who is she? She's feisty." Right. I mean, her in this movie, The Nest. I just think she is 
there's just so many complex emotions kind of swirling under the surface and you're really seeing this woman who at the beginning is is comfortable in this very elegant lifestyle but then is that as the sort of um as kind, kind of, of rug gets ripped out from under right her. or as she begins to sort of see that this is sort of like this lavish this lifestyle of that she's built with Jude Law he is sort of not is not as stable as she would have thought yeah and then how that kind of unleashes this sort of like rebellious energy within mm-hmm. her and is is able to sort of like you see this sort of like punk rock energy kind of come out of this like 80s sort of like reagan era like rich woman and that i just found yeah. so exciting to watch like climaxing with that bit where she's like dancing at the rock club is yeah. one of oh, my favorite listen. movie bits of last year. Oh, listen. So like the thing is her scene, like you are correct. It's very punk rock. It's very, uh, it's just so for lack of a better term, there's like no violence in the movie, but her performance is she might as well. in that scene at the dinner table where she just lays into Jude law in front of like all of his work friends, oh, she yeah. might as well have taken a shotgun out and shot him in the face. That was such a violent scene. just <laughs> a violent takedown. And it was all just from the way that she delivered those lines. The shit she spits at him in this movie is just so like good. enough to leave your like mouth on the floor but it's like it, it's 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 paired so wonderfully with like um the complete opposite like scenes of like real emotional degradation the sequences regarding her horse were mm-hmm. just heartbreaking and it just really shows just the that like emotional kind of roller coaster and circle you go on when you're going through a situation that is I don't want to say traumatic because it's not like a traumatic movie. It's not a, I mean, it's a thriller, but it's not a thriller. It's a very just like engaging drama to where you are just in suspense for what happens next, as opposed to like, right. It is, it is, it is what's going to happen to this, this family that has, is at the beginning sort of seems to have everything all together and be very wealthy and is inevitably going to fall apart. Like, it's really it's a really cool look at like how the effects of Reaganomics were really a big kind of like like propagandist like facade mm-hmm. where it was like once they kind of left that uh that kind of stronghold and went somewhere else it, they kind of started realizing that it was it was all just kind of a veil over their eyes which was just really cool it's a very adult drama it is not it's not sexy really it's not like it's not that movie that is sold easily and you know unfortunately kind of like again like relic it uh got buried under just the the ifc curse they're just not a big you know and i think they they would probably rather i mean i think anyone would rather win an oscar but they go for they love their spirit awards, their Gotham awards, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But and like, it's a pretty crowded best actress field so, this year. Yeah. And th- this is maybe the one that I was just to fuck with everyone. <laughs> this is the one that I was maybe just sort of like the most kind of like, Oh, well, I guess it's this had to quiet. be the one that, 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 that let, that fell yeah. off. I just wish people would 
give her that moment a little bit more. Yeah. I just feel like pe- they always kind of put her in just these, like, supporting performances. And it's like, yeah, sure, she's great in The Post, but, like, it's not her movie. Right. Or, like, she's great in Widows. It's not her movie. Yeah, she's only in, like, what, one scene like in Widows? Or, yeah, like, one yeah. or two scenes. So it's like, it, she's great when she's there, but... I just wish people would give her more of that space that the nest did because it was one of those moments where you really got to see like, Oh yeah, that's what happens when you give someone enough screen time to like flesh something out. And I, you know, it's the same way with the leftovers. It's just, no one has been able to do it in like a big movie setting. Yeah. And I would be really interested to see like, an. I would be really interested to see, interested to see what the how the nest would have performed had it been picked up by someone different had like searchlight or focus gotten their hold of it i wonder how they could have like spun that a little bit more but you know the cards fall how they fall let's move on to underrated best actor (sighs) so this one was a little tough for me because i was like my uh, there's an obvious choice and then there's the not so obvious choice yes the obvious choice of someone who didn't get their flowers this year, who should have, obviously is Del Orlando for yes. the Five Bloods. I sort I'm of not, had him and then a backup in case you mentioned Delroy Lindo. <laughs> I'm going to go with my backup. Okay. And maybe, you know what? Let's both go with our backup. Everyone knows that Del Lindo is... Delroy is Lindo been, giving, I think, so, the performance of last yeah, year, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, so good. It, I, it goes without saying that the Oscars really fucked up by not by not getting them in there the best actor performance of the last year but since that's obvious i'll go with my lesser known one and that one is uh jesse plemons and i'm thinking of ending things oh i i love him so much so yeah and just that whole his character so mysterious but it comes into like full view so well at the end and just i remember just watching it that entire final sequence i was just like Uh, he is like getting the material to like construct that sort of that oscar performance and i think in a just world i think in a just world i'm thinking of ending things would have a lot more uh Mm -hmm. have a lot more clout than it does um but it's just you know it's a charlie kaufman movie it's never it's very it has to be like next level good which i think it is but it Mm -hmm. has to be like so much better than everything else yeah. for it to even like kind of be regarded on the same level because it is just it can be so strange and so unapproachable um and it the performance i would say is too but there is just it's not often that i think Plemons gets a lot of breathing room and performances very similar to carrie coon in that he's a great character actor and i find that he plays a lot of similar characters he plays a lot of bad guys obviously. he he is i think one of the more interesting actors of his generation he yeah. has a very very specific there's something kind of like sweet and innocent about him but there but can so also be sinister. something something menacing yeah. um which you know you also get in judas and the black messiah of there yeah. is something that is so kind of like raised out in the cornfields like suburban white boy about him and kind of like cuddly and Friday cute, night but lights. Al- yeah but also like th- this sort of like sinister side of that that lurks 
underneath. And it can um, go either way. It can be that, uh, it can be like Judas and the Black Messiah where you're like, bruh, fuck you. Like, or it could be used for comedy like Game, Game Night, Night, which like, that's literally is so what I was going towards. funny in that movie. Yeah. So, um, that's a, oh, and also, uh, he's another actor who is, uh, who was wasted in the post. Um, but, just like Harry Coon. But yeah, I just find that he is in movies that don't always like pull that like amount of Oscar clout with it or if he mm-hmm. is in it, he is not the focus of it. Right. You know, when he's in The Irishman, yeah, he's great. But uh, like Joe Pesci and Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are fabulous too and obviously like they're the ones that are going to get their flowers with it. Judas and the Black Messiah, like, he's great in it, but it's obviously Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield's movie. Right. You know, and, you know, I could go down the list. Uh, you it'll know. it'll be interesting to see what happens to him. I don't know if you've been following the news with, he is the co-lead, and as I understand, Moon. for, yeah, the new Scorsese movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, and it is... It is he, him and Leo are kind of the two dueling leads yeah. of that movie. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, how that works with him kind of more at the forefront of a movie than as in typically like, but, I feel like his strategy is just, I, I want to work with like really cool directors yeah. and like, I don't care he's how no, small the part is. I mean, I'll do yeah, it. like Charlie Kaufman, Scorsese, like Scorsese more than once. Right. And, you know, Shaka King, he's worked with uh, Scott Cooper a few times. And Very chilling on Breaking Bad, where a lot of people, Doug, I think, first saw him. Doug or, Wine yeah, and that. Fargo. Yeah. Um, I'm, he's worked with Spielberg a couple times. Like, he's, you mm-hmm. know, out there doing stuff. I'm very excited to see him in Antlers, but maybe not specifically because of him, but because I really want to see Antlers, and I got screwed over! <laughs> Because they decided to release it right as COVID came out, and then decided to push it back until like, up, like till Halloween of this year. So, I it's just like, come on, drop it on Hulu. But I mean, he has that, and then he's also in Jungle Cruise. But we're not going to discuss that one. Yeah. And he's in Jane Campion's next movie too. Oh, that's with, right, with him and Kirsten his wife. Dunst. Yeah. Um. So I mean, he's he's out here making moves, and I just think. His performance and I'm thinking of ending things is so understated, I think, compared to a lot of his other roles. However, I think it's much beefier and a mm-hmm. little bit more like gentle and touching in a way that is also a little bit sinister, but you can't really tell whether it is until the very end and it kind of flips it on its head of Oh, well Yeah. Interesting. So uh I I I just I adore that movie and I think it really it really was such a good showing. I for arguably I could have easily seen Clemens, Buckley, Colette, and Thulis all dominated at some yeah. at some point. It's just just wasn't that it wasn't that type of movie, you know? Yeah. And I just feel like there's so much about it that's just wonderful. I thought it could have been a great adapted screenplay push i thought it could have been an amazing cinematography push is one of i think probably my favorite cinematography of anything last year that again Mm -hmm. that whole final sequence if that's not in the realm of best cinematography i don't really know what is so overall i think it's all around just a really really uh just forgotten about and 
just underplayed film that is a lot more powerful than anyone let alone netflix gave it credit for yeah so i think as with you i think if i'm being 100 percent honest delroy lindo is is yeah. the the underrated actor of the year um i mean a role that just i think evokes evokes Humphrey bogart at its best i think yeah. is is just a kind of like seeing a great actor who is just like a great wor- working actor and has been for years and years getting the kind of role that is just like the like Tyrannosaurus Rex size steak like put right in front of you and having someone like Spike Lee Did being you know like he was British. I didn't. Yeah. Well, okay. So he's British, but he moved to America. Like I was about to say, he doesn't have an accent, which he does a little why. bit. If you listen to it, yeah. it comes through, and I'm like. It's Delroy Lindo's British. It comes yeah. like he's lived here long enough that it mostly sounds natural, but there are just some words he says. I'm just like, oh, I hear that London and you. Yeah. So my uh, backup pick, I'll I'll be quick on it, but it would have been Mads Mikkelsen in another round. Okay. Um, someone who like I've really liked in a bunch of stuff before, but this is kind of, um, and and I I, as I understand, in his native country, he gets to play a much kind of softer. like what yeah much softer kind of roles on screen as it, it here in the united states most people probably recognize him for playing villains whether it's casino as royale. um yeah casino royale or like thirst trap hannibal lecter yeah or... i mean i mean he's done so many at this point i mean he's in the rogue new... one he, rogue he's one so well he's not a villain in rogue one that, though that's true um that's but mendelson is a great villain in it but yeah. like i mean Doctor Strange. In, That's right. Um, God, he's been in so much. I don't feel like he just gets that. Uh, he was the bad guy in the. I'm looking at his cinematography, his, his filmography, that weird Three Musketeers movie. Um, uh, passed on that. Also, if you remember a very small role he was in, but if you remember the music video for "Bitch Better Have My Money" by Rihanna, he was said bitch. Oh yeah. yeah! Wow. Yeah, great. I totally forgot about great that. Great performance of his. But, but yeah. yeah, I, 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 he is one of those people that just has like a very distinctive, unique presence on screen, and yeah. I just enjoyed seeing seeing him in a comedy. Basically, I mean, th- this movie deals with some dramatic stuff, but is is a comedy first and foremost. I think, and I obviously, I mean, too. Oh, I mean, I. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. and I need to catch up with the foreign language picks because, like, yeah. another round. I've also heard like Quavadi Saida is absolutely amazing. I know that's on Hulu. I think another round's on Hulu too, isn't it? It is on Hulu. That's yeah. where I watched it. But yeah. um, I you probably know the scene. I won't ruin it for anyone who hasn't checked it out yet. But the final scene in this movie and what he is doing in that final scene is, I think, such a surprising an exciting thing that like I would have seeing an actor who do something that I would like never have imagined them doing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it, it is just one of the most joyous things in a movie of the mm-hmm. last six, uh, uh, the last like couple of years, I would say. Do you think he's going to be a villain in Indiana Jones? I forgot he's going to be in that. Yeah, probably. Just, I'm probably. sure, but I would love to see. I would love to see him in Indiana Jones just being, just like. What if a, What if he is like the comedic relief side? Character? I know. What if like <laughs> what if that's Phoebe what I'm Waller saying. Bridge is the villain and he is oh. like actually the. 
Oh, that sounds fun. Okay, uh, cool. But yeah, I I've heard so much about that performance too. I feel like it. I feel like that he was kind of the missing fifth. Yeah. Or like sixth nominee this year that it could have been. It could have been one or the other. Anyone kind of could have been subbed out and right. Uh, so. So who would you pick as your underrated director for the last um, year? I I think the obvious choice would have been Spike Lee. Um, yeah, but I think Spike. I mean, Spike Lee's gotten his Oscar flowers, right? And I think Charlie Kaufman, maybe not for directing, but has gotten his Oscar flowers. And I think that Natalie Erica James and Relic is such a beautiful uh, directorial debut. But I think even in the best of circumstances, that would have never happened. I'm gonna go with something a little bit left field. Um, I hate being like, oh my god, like I'm choosing like a foreign language film that like no one really watched but um and i'm so sorry about this uh pronunciation because i do not speak spanish but uh jairo bustamante for la llorona is okay next level horror directing and -hmm. i wouldn't even go so far to say it's necessarily like a horror movie in the traditional sense it is a really really somber look at the effect of genocide on an entire uh community and how that can manifest itself in in horrific ways that it's almost like the real the supernatural element about la llorona is not the horror element of it it can be taken that way if you're looking from the side of the perpetrators but Mm -hmm. it the really horrific parts come from when it gets into if you guys don't know la llorona is it's a guatemalan horror film it's on shutter um one of my favorite streaming services and which i don't think anyone's surprised about but it's a it's a look at a the family of a dying dictator who has like committed really terrible atrocities across this unnamed country it's i think it stands a lot for a lot of different Central American like dictatorships that have happened. It takes place in the eighties, nineties. I'm not sure, but either way he's getting, he's on trial for finally on trial for all of his like war crimes and crimes against humanity. And there is a new um, housekeeper at the house. And there is just this strange air about her. And it's not so much alluded to in the sense of, uh, the same way that something like the curse of la llorona which is that Mm -hmm. uh that conjuring verse movie that was apparently really bad i didn't see it this one it really does um go into the history of this like legend of the scorn like the weeping woman the scorned mother within Mm -hmm. a, a a broad latin american central american um like umbrella and it doesn't just try to play it off as like a horror thing it really does try to dig into what could cause what could cause someone or something to kind of transcend reality to want to uh exact revenge on somebody in a way and it's just it's such a it's such an interesting approach to everything and i think it could have easily gone um gone really south but the way that that yaro bustamante approaches the the material is just 
it 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 plays like a like a holocaust drama as opposed mm-hmm. to a horror film and i think its title i think it being released on shutter um i love shutter but it does carry a a specific type of horror when you think of it it's like that kind of throwback 80s kind of right. horror yeah and you don't really think that they're going to release like really stunning pieces of uh like dramatic horror but it's really that piece i think it should have been nominated for it should have been nominated and won best foreign language film but um specifically him his direction in the film is just like it's just really jarring and flooring in a way that you don't expect going into a horror film like that but you leave just like it's both subverted your expectations but almost elevates the prestige like elevates the prestige level of it as well so it's like wow not only is does this kind of take it beyond just what the genre is it really does stand amongst like kind of best of the rest of the year so yeah um wish i could have seen more of it uh during uh, like award season was glad to see it at ncfca and at the golden globes even though it didn't win anything but um you know again one of those moments where it really does matter what studio is attached yeah so for mine similar to you there there's some people that i i are not nominated in the best director category who i considered but i really tried to hear take the kind of like the title of underrated to heart you know i i i thought for a hot second about saying steve mcqueen for just the small act stuff in particular like lovers rock um but i mean steve mcqueen doesn't need me to champion for him people know steve mcqueen is like an incredible filmmaker and i'm sure he will get lots of accolades come emmy season when i think that's going to be more a campaign um there's two people who i'm really really i i i almost can't decide i'm i'm gonna go with and then maybe i can mention my my um uh sort of honorable mention person but i'm gonna go with andrew patterson for the vast of nine that's a good choice that's a choice that i would make (laughs) oh i'm so proud of you that's such a good choice yeah i agree so is is this his this is is this his first film i think so i believe so for those who don't know vast of night came out over the summer i believe you can stream it on amazon prime it's a very very low budget movie essentially set in the 1950s about two teenagers who work at a radio station and they hear reports about a ufo in the area and they basically go to like investigate and you know in whenever i've talked about this movie with people it to me the filmmaking is kind of the star of the movie this is this is a terrific example of you know, I some people I because of the UFO I think compared it to early Spielberg stuff. I kind of agreed with film critic Adam Naiman, and it it reminded me of a lot of like early Sam Raimi, early Cone Brothers stuff of just like this movie is made at a such a small level, but with such creativity yeah. and such style that that th- this is just a perfect example of I think excellent directing where someone has a very very small budget. Yeah. and is able to sort of make this exhilarating, incredibly fun popcorn movie that with all of this style and all of this kind of like wondrous movement to it, 
and it feels like a much more expensive movie than it actually is. It's just a terrific oh, example yeah. of someone doing a lot with a little. And I'm just incredibly excited to see like what this guy does next. Yeah. And I, 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 I have to IMDb page. He hasn't done anything before. Yeah, this. like nothing. It's the only thing on his entire profile. So I, I would just highly encourage anyone just wanting like it's a short watch. Yeah. Craving of just f- really fun popcorn movie. The, to fire this up on Amazon yeah. Prime and and like I said just what this guy is able to do with such a small budget yeah. just blew me away and I had so much fun yeah. watching it and such good it has such good atmosphere yes like, such a good like build has the best tracking shot of any movie of last year hands I, down. I watched someone break that down on YouTube and I remember, to, to oh. the point of just sort of like Oh, this is a million times more complicated than I thought of. Like, there's a bit where that tracking shot goes through a like basketball game that's yes! happening, and you watch as someone is able to score like a three point shot, and of just being like that. That's like seventy five percent excellent, like blocking and planning, as well as like twenty five percent just insane luck to be just, able to get yeah. a shot that feels that immersive and d- is does not feel sort of forced and sort of yeah. coordinated it's as you're watching so, it. It's so good. I saw it at it was the one movie during COVID I went and saw it at drive in because they mm-hmm. did like special drive in screenings and it's so fitting for that. But like it's it is fun. It's got that kind of like art house twist to it, but not so much that it is like unapproachable by any means. It's yes. really thrilling. It's got that um really wonderful atmosphere great dialogue as well it's a very Mm. dialogue driven thriller and it really succeeds at that and then when it does kind of kick into high gear near the end it's kind of shocking how much they do on how little resources they had and it's 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 very very thrilling again yeah yeah, i agree with you pretty much everything you said there it's just it's it's great it's one definitely underrated like to a t I also would be upset considering uh, how this movie is that I'm about to mention. It seems like the very definition of underrated, like was kind of just like thrown into the trash by Disney and like released in the middle of the pandemic and kind of very little advertisement and stuff for it. And I caught up with it. I know it's crazy. Exactly. It's so good. Um, No, I I wanted to give a shout out to this guy named David Pryor who made this horror movie called the empty man. I haven't watched it yet. I've heard it's so good. It's so good. It looked awful in the trailers, but now everyone's saying it's great. Now I'm like, shit, I have to watch it, but it's like two and a half hours long too. I I will not uh, get into details for you. I'm fascinated to hear what you, I was like, great. Another bye bye man movie. And then, yeah, I, I'm fascinated to hear what you think of it when you see it. Um, God, I might this, watch it tonight. This guy who made it, basically his only other credits have been doing like behind-the-scenes stuff on David Fincher movies and like behind-the-scenes making-of segments. There are, and, some good, there are some good ones. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is one of the best uh, yeah, like um, documentaries of any. And he made this like horror movie that kind of got dumped by Disney because they acquired it from 20th Century Fox, but it is actually like got a pretty like it's a sizable mid-budget horror movie that is this like very ambitious like lovecraftian oh say no more um horror film that i'm i'm being a little vague because i i think people i you people should just go into it yeah. not knowing knowing as little as possible but i was just so impressed by the ambition and the craftsmanship on display 
and the fact that it is it is so confidently made um i don't know i was really really impressed so i have to shout him out too because of just like Look at a you movie, make a good genre choice. A movie that no one saw, but I like I watched it last weekend and was just like, this is insanely well made. Of just yeah. like this 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 is crazy of like how well made and how confident this movie is in its mythology and oh, its filmmaking. It. So oh, she's um, go- oh yeah. Marin Ireland's in it. She gave one of my favorite performances of the last year too in Dark and the Wicked. I wasn't like so sold on that movie, but yeah, okay. Now I really have to watch this movie. Okay. That's right. a good choice. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to one. our underrated movie of the year. What's I think I know what your pick is, but what is your pick? Um. So when it came down to it, it came down to um two for me, and they're two mm-hmm. that I've already mentioned. And when it came down to it, I was like, you know what? I think one of them had more uh had more push going through because i think it had a better studio behind it i think it had more like a film twitter talking and all that so um it's not i'm thinking of ending things i think that's probably one of the most well-rounded movies of last year but it's Mm -hmm. not that it is relic okay so your your number one is your pick my number one is my pick so we can kind of yeah dive into this it's uh I, I said a lot about it before, but it is just an emotionally devastating movie at the about how dementia can really affect people's lives. And it really, you know, now that I do think about it, it does share so many parallels with the father, but it just mm-hmm. takes it instead of like making horror out of real life. It's like finding real life in horror, I guess, because there is like an actual horror movie at the center of this. And it is quite scary but it is really, really emotional, and it is this really interesting and powerful, um, like, multi-generational kind of inheritance of of trauma and just, I don't know, Natalie Erica James just outdid herself. I actually got to see a short film of hers before Relic came out at a little film festival, and I remember being like, that was sick. It was like a Chinese language uh, short film. And I was like, that's crazy. And then her movie premiered. I was like, wait, I know her. And then I saw it and it was just kind of, it was really unreal to me. It was just the best. It's such a good little indie movie. Again, doing a lot out of not having much. Um, I think Australian horror is really underrated as well. I think a lot of people think of the Babadook, but there's so much more than that. Like, like Mungo and Wolf Creek, even though Wolf Creek is very different. That movie mm-hmm. is rough to watch. Um, but I think there's just so much to be said there. Um, also, a lot of people don't realize it was produced by Jake Gyllenhaal and executive produced by the Russos, but it didn't get any clout yeah. for that. Like it was an Agbo release. Well, IFC, but Agbo like financed it and uh, Nine Stories produced it like it had like major names behind it which was really strange for like a a a first time australian filmmakers film but uh yeah that is just it's one of those movies that i know that it would have never ever gotten a best picture nomination but uh, in my in my perfect world it would have and i think at some point had netflix played their cards right they could have gotten i'm thinking of ending things in there ifc could have never gotten this movie in so that's Mm -hmm. my pick because it is truly 
the most underrated to me. Yeah. And that I want everyone to talk about it, but like no one's on my same page. Yeah. I I debated with mine going um with the empty man just because of, you know, sheer like lack of people seeing it ex- except with people like just being it, it being word of mouth but i uh, i ended up going with my number one movie of last year which was kelly reichardt's first cow which has been very well acclaimed but and i thought might have a chance of getting into the awards conversation but pretty much didn't um it's a little too um artsy fartsy for some people and not even yeah. really that much but like it just has that that air about it that's just a yes. little bit too I think a lot of people think it's like too good for the Oscars and it's like, okay, but that doesn't mean that it, I think it's actually an interesting comparison with the movie that I think both of us think will probably win the best picture Oscar, which is Nomadland yeah. and both movies. I think they're both obsessed with the American West. They both are about people being beaten down by capitalism and trying to just sort of, find a way but it to survive enough, and make but money but does first cow say enough about amazon <laughs> that's the real question yeah the 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 cow and first cow did not speak out against jeff bezos and therefore yeah. will not uh be nominated for an oscar yeah. no i mean this is i maybe this Just is a bit of a controversial ex- <laughs> statement an but amazon wagon behind it the whole time <laughs> Uh, maybe this is a bit of a controversial statement but i i actually think this is kelly reichardt's first movie um i mean kelly reichardt one of our great independent filmmakers and i i do not always click with her stuff it is very quiet it's very slowly paced i think she's very obsessed with just sort of like american west the american west and kind of like the day-to-day mundanity um of people's lives certain and, women great yes great film and but i i don't know there was just something about this movie that i found such a it's got a little bit of like McCabe and Mrs. Miller energy to it of it's got this sort of like dirtiness in uh, its aesthetic. And there's just this like it is sort of this beautiful friendship movie between these sort of two unlikely figures who kind of meet out in Oregon and decide to kind of start this bakery business. But they have to do it by stealing milk from this kind of prized cow that comes into the area um i i just think it is a movie that it fits that sweet spot for me of is is a movie i love all the just sort of like aesthetic pleasures of it mm-hmm. and as well as i think should you choose to unpack it there is a lot of um there's just a lot in there about kind of making it in america and mm-hmm. sort of how hard it can be to you know people always say like i don't know just go out there and do it start a business just be successful but the realities of like how hard it could be when you know you, you're like okay well i need money to buy this thing and i need to make a the money yes <laughs> and and i don't know this, this is just such a a wonderful movie and to me it's it it is very it was like very very clearly my favorite movie of 2020 it got screwed and by covid i think that was a big thing because it came yeah. out literally right as covid right hit. as the pandemic was hitting and like they pulled it from theaters and then put it back in theaters and it was a weird back and forth a24 i don't think handled it particularly well as i don't think that they've handled much of anything during the pandemic very well as as serviced with uh the whole minari virtual screening bullshit mm. they were on about but yeah i think 
I think in a world where this could have gotten like a proper theatrical release, it might have been able to pull a little bit more. But also, like it is on brand for the Oscars, so not know what's good for them. So yeah, so um, well, I think we did a, a good job at giving people some uh, some. There's some good choices in there. I yeah, I need to go watch The Empty Man now. If you're saying that, like, damn. Yeah. Um. Next week, we will be. A little later, we will not be uh, on our normal Monday schedule, but we will be discussing the the 2021 Academy Awards. 